0: Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 as we get to hear the Word of God speak. Ephesians chapter 3, it's on page 977 in the uh, Bibles and the chairs in front of you. We... are not looking for a word from man. We're looking for a word from God. So here at Cornerstone, we do turn to the scriptures. We do turn to the words of life. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. We're finishing out the first three chapters of Ephesians, a major section in this epistle. And here is God's word to us this morning. Now to him Our Father, we do praise you and thank you for your holy word to us. Father, we freely confess to you that we lack the strength, we lack the faith to believe the the truth that is contained, even in these two short verses. And so, Lord, help our unbelief, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've been looking forward all year to preaching these two verses to you. They're, in some ways, my favorite verses. They're my, you know, everybody says, I have my verse. (laughs) These are are my verses. Uh, I I love them. The the reason why is because the the truth that these two verses contain, the, the wisdom that they state very plainly that Jesus Christ, He can do all things. He can do immeasurably more. He can do far more than anything that we can ask and anything that we could even imagine. He can do that in our lives and he can do that in the lives of others as well. And so these are wonderful truths. These are wonderful promises to us this morning. In other words, God's goodness, God's grace, His sovereignty, His love, his, his mercy, His sweet providence, they have no limits, no limits, they are, they are unlimited, they are that powerful, God has no limits, Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is unlimited in what he can do? That is what the truth of Scripture teaches. God has no limits. And the central problem with us believing this truth is that we tend to think a lot of times that that God is like us. We tend to think that God is a human being, and we fail to recognize who he truly is. That is, that he is God, that he is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, his wisdom, his power, his goodness, his justice, his holiness, and his truth, the catechism tells us. That is who God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that surely our greatest trouble in the Christian life is our failure to realize that God is not as man. One of our greatest problems in the Christian life is our failure to realize that God is not like us. The greatest sin of every Christian, he says, and the Christian church in general, is is to limit the eternal, absolute power of God To the measure of our own minds and and concepts and and understandings. We try to put God in our back pocket. God is God. He is not a man. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Can can you accept that? Can you accept that God is God and he is not a man? Is there... Is there room in your theology? What you believe about God for that truth. And not only what you believe about God, but the application of your belief. Can you admit that? Can you believe that God is God and not a man? That is what we discover here in these two verses. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, this great doxology of the Apostle Paul and he addresses these powerful truths to us this morning. As I said at the beginning, we're kind of coming to a to a close to, to, of, a, of a section in Ephesians. You can outline Ephesians really in two parts. You got chapters one through three, which speak of the theology of the gospel. I mean, think about all of these amazing doctrines that we've studied. Think of the high majestic peaks of god's grace and his sovereignty and his election and his salvation and his grace all of these things that we've studied these are the theology of the gospel that paul has been preaching that he's been teaching us all through the first three chapters and so now he's kind of coming to a close on that he's transitioning his letter to the ephesians remember he's he's writing them a letter to encourage them to to help them. And he says, okay, here it is. Here's, the, here's three chapters of, of seminary, you know, and now let's apply this to the Christian life. And so the chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the, the application of the gospel to our lives. And so after surveying this great theology of the gospel in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we, what could we possibly say in response to all that we've studied? What could Paul come up with to, to utter after these wonderful truths, these majestic and glorious doctrines of the faith that he has just taught the Ephesian church? How would Paul end this great teaching and instruction to the disciples at Ephesus? After all that he had taught them. Well, there's only one way to respond. There's only one way to end. And that's doxology. Ephesians, 2, Ephesians 3, 20-21. A doxology is the only response. What is a, a doxology? We sing it one once a month here at Cornerstone. After the Lord's Supper, we praise God from whom all blessings flow. You're familiar with maybe those doxologies, but a doxology is prominent throughout all of the New Testament and several of the writers. Uh, the word doxology comes from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. And this word for glory means the, the radiance of the, of the brightness of God's presence. He's, he's glorious. He's radiant. He's holy, holy, holy. And so a doxology is an expression of praise, and it's an expression of giving glory to God. That's why we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. As our catechism taught us earlier in the service as we professed our faith together, it teaches us that our purpose in life is to glorify God. And enjoy him forever. That is what we are to do. That is what we were made for. That is what we are called to do. To glorify God. To glorify God or to give him glory. does not mean that we are adding praise to God. That we are somehow trying to prop him up. And build him up. No it means to extol the Lord God. And to praise him for what he has done for us. It is an expression praise. And so Paul has come to the point in his letter in Ephesians chapter 3 where he can go no further. And the things that he's been explaining, the things that he's been teaching, they have climaxed to a height that is higher than any reason or imagination can go. And so doxology, a doxology is the only fitting conclusion. So When there's nothing else left to be said, when there's no further things to be said on a matter, especially when it comes to the glory and awesomeness of God, doxology is what is left. Doxology is what we join in. And so do you feel compelled to join the Apostle Paul this morning? Do we want to join in with him in praising and extolling God? I do hope so, I do hope so, and so let's explore the truths of this doxology so that we can give all the glory to God, and so in Ephesians 3, 20-21, we're going to see that God, the God who is able is to be glorified. There it is, there's the theme, there's the summary of that, the God who is able is to be glorified glorified so let's examine God's ability and let's examine God's glory the first thing we see there is that God is able he says now to him that is God the father who is able God is able we sang last week in that great hymn come ye sinners he is able he is able doubt no more Paul here starts to describe for us the Super ability of God in this doxology. He illustrates the super ability of God by escalating uh, doxological phrases that that grow and grow and build and build. They're like steps up this great ladder of the the majesty and the wonder of God that goes up and up and up. So that's what this doxology does. It, It continues to build in the praise to God. And the first thing we see there that God is able to do, little bitty word, do, packed with meaning. It means that God works, God makes, God is active in his works of providence. This little bitty word in Greek actually means to make, to create, to bring about to to cause something to happen. That is what God does. The the proof that God actually exists is that He's he's able to do something. He is able to to create, to make, to control. He's, He's not a false God. He's not an idol. He's not a totem pole. God is not uninvolved in His creation. He's very much in the center of all that is happening in history. God is able. He is sovereign. He is sustaining the world by his providence and by the word of his power because he is a living God who is able to do all things. But it keeps building. He says God is able to do more abundantly, more abundantly. Here's a Here's another, what the theologians call, a super superlative made up by Paul. I've said this several times, but it's worth noting again. Paul makes up words in his writings. He's making up a word here. He's saying that God is able to do more abundantly. Really, the word would read super abundantly. I mean, imagine every time you wanted to describe someone, something to someone that was so exciting and so amazing that you just that they used the word super in front of like every single superlative they did. Super, super, super. That's who God is. He, he goes beyond all measures. What God can do, what he's able to do, he's able to do more abundantly, super abundantly. What he's able to do, what he can do, it cannot be quantified. There's not a spreadsheet that we can start entering things into to, to quantify what the Lord God can do because he's able to do all things super abundantly. Think about this. What Paul says, he's able to do super abundantly. God's expectations. You know, we all have expectations, right? We expect our lives to go a certain way. We expect our children to behave a certain way. We expect our jobs to live up to a certain standard. We have expectations, but God's expectations, they're even higher than ours. They're even more abundant than ours. You may be praying for healing, but maybe God wants to do more by causing you to suffer. You may be praying for this one little thing to happen, and it takes years and years for it to happen because God wants to do more in your life than you could even ask god is looking to do more he's looking to do super abundantly more god's will is greater than our wills i love the words and the phrases that paul continues to use in his words they're these super superlatives so why does he keep doing this why does he keep making up words I think it's because of this. Our language, all languages, often fall short. They are often inadequate when it comes to explaining the great mysteries of God. They're too wonderful for words. And so we see Paul trying to ink it out here on paper about how awesome and how God is able to do more abundantly than we could ask. Or imagine. And that's the other thing that keeps building here. God is able to do more than we could ask. And we can ask. God hears and answers the prayers of his saints. We can go to God and we can, we can ask him for things. We are, in fact, commanded to ask him to, for things. He is our heavenly father and he tells us to go to him and to pray to him, to ask him. Jesus says, you did not cho- choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He can do far more abundantly than we ask. What are you afraid to ask God for this morning? What are you afraid to ask God for this morning? This is not a health and wealth teaching here. I'm not saying you need to ask God for a boat or for a bigger house. No, no, what, what are in what way are you limiting God by just by what you're asking for? Maybe you have a child is struggling and you're just praying, Lord, I just pray he doesn't go to jail. And you think, man, that child or that person or that friend, they are so lost There's, I just hope they don't die tomorrow. but could God save that person? Could God supernaturally reach down into that child's heart, that friend's heart, that co-worker's heart, and, and, and do a work that is far greater than what we're even asking for? Are we limiting God even just by our prayers? What are you too afraid to ask God for? We need not be afraid if we're asking God for the things that he promises us in his word. Because he can do more and he will do more than we could even ask him for. But it keeps building. God is able, his ability. God is able to do more than we can even think. Or some translations may can even imagine. God is even greater than our imaginations. The truth is. Our imaginations are too weak. They are too small. We, we can't dream big enough. The most amazing thing is that God can supersede even our dreams, our wildest dreams. Last week, my, fam- uh, my wife and I had the chance to introduce our kids to a great classic, Escape to Witch Mountain, 1975 Disney. The uh, CGI and graphics weren't quite great back then, but they're they're co- they were coming along. The great little scene in that movie where the two orphan children end up with a very wealthy man, Mr. Bolt. And Mr. Bolt says, "It's time for me to go take you to your rooms." And they're like, "All right, this is great." And so they get to their rooms and it's amazing. My kids were like, "Whoa!" Like an ice cream milkshake machine in their rooms that had all the toys and all the gizmos that a child in 1975 could imagine. So, you know, take it back a while, 40 something years. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was it was wow. And after the kids had enjoyed all of the all of the fanciful things for several days, they're laying on their beds and they say, basically, this is kind of depressing you know, this is, this, is, this is not what I thought for. I mean, we have everything we've ever wanted here, so now we have nothing to hope for, nothing to wish for, because now we, we have it all. And to those little children, they, they did. In their worlds and in their small minds, they, they had all the toys, all the things they could ever want or dream or imagine at that point. But that's just it there was more in store for those children than they could even imagine. That they could even think beyond just the toys and the things that were in that room. And and it's that way in our life now too. Do you believe that God can do more than you could even imagine? Than you could even dream? That's how good God is. But it keeps going. God is able to do. God is able. Because He's given us His dynamite. We have the dynamite of God. Look at there in verse 20. God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God's power, His dynamite is at work within us. God can. Work beyond anything we could ask or anything we could think or anything we could even dream about because of the resurrection power. The power that God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. The power that God worked in Christ when He seated Him in the heavenly realms far above all authority, far above all things that exist. And then God's Word says that that power that God exerted in Christ when he did that, that power is at work in you. God's amazing power is at work in you. That is the power that is able. And so last week in verses 14 through 19, we saw the the unlimited love of God. God's love has no limits. And so now we see his unlimited power. His power at work in your lives and in the lives of his people has no limits. And so the hymn writer Joseph Hart, that's why he wrote these words that we sing. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Do you believe that God is able? God's The God who is able, the God who can do more than we could even ask or imagine because of his power that is at work within us, his wonder-working power, he is the God who deserves all the glory, all of it. That is what this doxology is about, the glory of God. The power, the unlimited power comes from God, and so all the glory must go to God. So the apostle wants his disciples in the Ephesians church to to have a theological center to their understanding of God's mighty acts and salvation. And so, He gives glory to where glory is due. This doxology teaches us that to God alone be the glory. You know, in this coming year, 2017, we will celebrate 500 years of the Reformation. Historians have marked it back to 1517 when God ignited a movement in his church that shook the whole world and even affects us today. Because of the Reformation, I'm not standing here in a tall, pointy hat. You're welcome. (laughs) And coming out of this Reformation, there were great reforms in, in the church and massive reforms in the way that we worshiped. And there were five themes that came out of the Reformation that were called the five solas. And just a little advertisement here on Wednesday nights, beginning August 24th, I'm going to do a seminar on the five solas of the Reformation. I hope you would join me. But the climax of those solas, the the very height, the very peak, the, the grandest one that there is, is the Latin phrase, Solio Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. This great teaching, Solio Deo Gloria, is that salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God. It is for God's glory, and so we must glorify Him always. We must live our entire lives before the face of God, under the authority of God, and for His glory alone. You know, one of the biggest time wasters that I have discovered is watching videos on YouTube. Anybody else have that sickness? And recently I was watching a really silly video of a p- person teaching about finances. And they were trying to incorporate, you know, principles and teachings into the way we control our finances. And they said, if you if you do these things, it will, it will help you. And, and this person, at the end of their video, they made this... This, this promise that was just unreal to me. They said, if you, if you put these things into practice, if you practice these principles, th- then the universe will serve you. I'm glad y'all thought that was funny because I, I just kind of stood there thinking, did I just really say that after a finance video? Uh, what, a, what a foolish and, and ignorant thing to say but that's the lie that we often believe. That's the lie that the world, the flesh and the devil want to to perpetrate. We we believe that the world, we we believe that the that the that the universe exists to serve us. We believe that we are the center of the universe. We get mad and upset and frustrated every day at the littlest things because our children, because our spouses, because our co-workers, because our neighbors, our friends, they're not serving us. They're not giving us all the glory that is due to our name. That's the way we think sinfully. We think that the universe exists to serve our purposes. And then comes Ephesians three twenty through 21, and this is a massive course correction that we need in our lives. That we need to correct our thinking and our beliefs. The universe does not exist to serve us. We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what the scriptures teach. That is what life is all about. Did you know that there's one thing that we can do now, here this morning, today, that we will be doing forever and ever? There's one thing that we can do now today that we will do forever and ever, and that is glorify God. Many of the great hymns of the faith remind us of this truth and help us to proclaim God as the center of our lives. One great hymn, to God be the glory. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son Who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that we may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Turn with me briefly to Revelation chapter 5. Last book in your Bible. I don't often make y'all flip around scriptures, so just bear with me, please. Revelation chapter 5, please turn there. This wonderful few chapters that the curtain of heaven is pulled back. And through the writing of the Apostle John, we get to see what's going on here. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, the apostle writes, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain And worshiped. This passage reveals to us very clearly our purpose now and our purpose in eternity, and that is to give glory to God, specifically to give glory to the Lamb who was slain. You may have heard that before in churches, the Lamb that was slain. What what does that mean? What are we talking about here? Well, the scriptures teaches us that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was the sacrificial lamb for sin. It means that Jesus died so that that you would not have to. Jesus died because he loves his church. Jesus died to demonstrate the super awesome, super abundant, super amazing love. Of God. So what else is there to say after that? But praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Solio Deo Gloria. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we try to make life about us. And Lord, too often we are looking for glory for ourselves. And Lord, even in that, we, we, we limit what we think you could do. We, we try to make you out to be like a man. Lord, as we, as we read, as we studied, correct our thinking. Correct our hearts and our minds and help us to see that you are the one who is holy, holy, holy. And so, Lord, help us daily to join with the cherubim and the seraphim, the heavenly beings who attend you in heaven, who are praising forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Lord, help us to join our voices there. Lord, help us to fulfill our calling, to glorify you and enjoy you forever.